This is the podcast for Woodland Presbyterian Church in Memphis, Tennessee. We are maturing God's people to serve a hurting world. We hope you enjoy the message, and if you'd like to learn more about our church, look us up at woodlandpres.org. Thanks so much. May the Lord bless you. We are nine days into uh, 2022, and we resumed our series on the book of Romans. Um, we say call it a book of Romans, but it's really a letter uh, that Paul wrote to the church in Rome. And right, understanding who the author is and who the recipients are really help us to understand how we listen in as we hear what Paul is saying to the church in Rome. Right? Remember, Paul was a Pharisee. He was taught in the law, but he found his righteousness and his significance and his standing from what he did, his outward appearance of faithfulness. But he had this amazing encounter with Jesus. And Jesus said, you know, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And the scales dropped from his eyes and he was converted. He saw the light, as it were. He became a follower of Jesus Christ. And his life was totally transformed and renewed. He, instead of finding his justification significance by what he did on the outward, um, presenting himself as a religious, faithful person, he realized that God cared about his heart. And then his heart was changed. And then over time, he became more and more like Jesus. And then he wanted to encourage. He planted churches all over the Mediterranean. And he really, really wanted to go to the, the church in Rome. And so, but he couldn't get there for a long time until the end of his ministry. So he wrote them a letter to encourage and challenge them. It's a, it's a letter uh, that ro- uh, reminds uh, pe- people of God how God is working to bring the good news of the gospel to, to different places. It's a, a theological treatise that gives us an understanding of what who God is and his character and what he wants for his people. And the and it starts out with this, remember the first message that I began at the beginning of the school year, is that it's a, it's a love letter. Paul loves these people. He cares about their hearts. He cares about their lives. He wants them to be faithful to Jesus. And he knows that they're living in a difficult situation, right? It's this small group of people who are trying to follow Jesus, living in the midst of a cultural climate where there weren't very many people following Jesus. Most people were interested in making money. Most people were interested in having military power. Most people were interested in worshiping other gods. And there was this tiny group of people that were seeking to be faithful because they too had encountered Jesus. Someone had told them about Jesus. And they were following him too. And so they're trying as best they can to learn from God, from his word. And Paul writes this letter. And so they're taking in this letter and Paul is encouraging them. But he's also really challenging them. Like you remember in chapter 3, there's that whole list of verses from the Old Testament that say, No one is righteous. No, not one. He lists just the, the brutality and the devastation of the truth that none of us are righteous. Because Paul, man, he knew that more than anyone. He, he realized his whole life had been giving to try to be a good person. In our day and age, he would say, oh, he's a good Christian. And he had been presenting himself as a follower of God. But he knew in his heart he wasn't. And then Jesus came in and changed him and wrecked him and made him a follower of Christ. And so he wanted to tell everybody, look, you can't be righteous by what you do. It's impossible. And here's the truth of the matter. He gives us this example in chapter 4 about Abraham. Even Abraham, our father, was righteous. Not because of what he did, but by faith. 
And that gives us great hope, right? This idea that we live by faith and we encounter Jesus Christ in faith, then that changes how we want to live. When we look at the law, remember in chapter 7, he, he gave us the law. And it just, what the law does, it doesn't help us to become better people. It confronts us with the fact that we're not good people. But the good news is that it drives us to Jesus. Because when we look deeply into the law, we realize, wow, I'm really broken. I am messed up. But thanks be to God that he sent his one and only son to rescue me, to redeem me. And then, like last week, like Russell was talking about in chapter 8, therefore now there is no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. Think about that. Right? We deserve condemnation because we're sinful and broken. And yet for those of us who are in Christ Jesus, there is no condemnation. We've been set free from the law in that sense. The law now becomes something that we desire to obey and desire to fulfill in our lives because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. So our whole posture about how we walk out our faith is different. We don't feel guilty. We don't feel ashamed. And if we do, we realize we're not living in the truth of the gospel. We go back to Jesus. If we if we feel anxious, if we feel defeated, if we feel ashamed, if we feel guilty, we say, Lord Jesus, because you've redeemed me, you've not condemned me, I need to live into the truth of who you've called me to be. And that's the good news. Man, that's what the world needs to hear. That's what I need to hear every single day. And I get to share that with you. What a blessing it is. So, but we're going to keep going. There's more good news. We're going to just repeat that in different ways over and over again from now until eternity. All right? It's awesome. So let's, because here's the challenge, right? We do feel anxious. We do struggle. We do get angry about the wrong things for the wrong length of time. And we need to be reminded of the gospel. We need to be told over and over again, not only Sunday mornings, but Monday mornings, Friday nights, Saturday afternoons, that the gospel is true for us in every situation, that there's a God who loves us and cares for us and wants to set us free. And it's good news. So let's continue to study that and consider that in the rest of chapter 8. We're going to kind of speed up in these next few weeks uh, to, to go on. We're going to do all the rest of chapter 8 today. I'm going to read to you a few verses, uh, verse 26 through 30. So if you're able, please stand with me for the reading of God's Word. Romans 8, chapter, uh, verse 26 through 30. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groaning too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for the good, for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. The word of God for the people of God. You may be seated. Lord, thank you for your word, and thank you for this letter that Paul writes to Romans and that we can read and, and glean truth from. There's so much here. It's, it's too much for us to handle, uh, to be able to even absorb. But I pray that for my brothers and sisters, that today they would learn one thing, and it would cause them to do one thing. 
there would be one truth, one idea, one concept that really resonates with them this morning that would lead to one action of faithfulness. So God, give it to them so they can apply it. Lord, give it to me so that I can apply it. So that you would help us to be more like Christ as a result of being with Christ. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. What's your favorite restaurant? Do you have a favorite restaurant? I'm going to tell you about two of my favorite restaurants and their favorite restaurants for different reasons. Probably my favorite restaurant of all time is Charlie's Steakhouse on Orange Blossom Trail in Orlando. Right? Charlie's Steakhouse is an old steakhouse. You go in, it's got the big wooden chairs, right? And when you go in on your birthday, you get a discount on your steak. And my friend, probably 25 years ago, I was living with this guy, Jeff, and he's like, he goes, hey, let's go out to dinner for your birthday. And so I'm like, okay. I go, well, he's, where do you want to go? I go, let's go to Outback Steakhouse. And he's like, no, no. No, we're not going out there. Let's go to Charlie's. And it's been, it's an Orlando institution. But I hadn't ever been. He goes, let's go to Charlie's. He goes, I heard that you get a discount on a steak. And he's I'm like, hey, if you're buying, I don't care. Let's go. So we go down there. And it was the best steak I ever had. I loved it. And I just love the feel of the restaurant. It's like a big, giant baked potato. And there's a salad bar. It's one of those, like, old school steakhouses. And they cook the steak with a little bit of citrus wood that gives this distinct flavor. It was so delicious. I love it also. Because one of the first dates I had was on another birthday with my wife, Brandy, came down with me to Charlie's Steakhouse, and we enjoyed that time. That was good, huh? Good steak. My other favorite restaurant is Chick-fil-A. <laughs> Why? Because I go there all the time. And it's a place in town where we got to have something to eat, and we say, where do you want to eat? Everybody goes, Chick-fil-A! And we all go, and everybody gets something, and we walk out not as hungry as we were when we came in. And they got Diet Coke. I like Diet Coke. They got a salad that's good. They got good fried chicken. But we can all go there. And if you look at my bank statement, and you said, which restaurant is Matt and Brandy Miller and family's restaurant, they would say, it's got to be Chick-fil-A, because they go there all the time. It's definitely not Charlie's Steakhouse. But why is something your favorite? Because it meets a need. It helps you at a point in your life. It reminds you of something significant, something special, something that is a blessing. So here's the next question. What's your favorite Bible verse? I have a, I have a number of them. But because certain verses have ministered to me at certain points of time in my life. And today in the text is one of my favorite verses. It's Romans chapter 8, verse 28. And we know that for those who love God... All things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. We know that for those who love God, he is working together in all things according to his purpose. Some verses bring great comfort because they've met you at a point in your life when you're really in desperate need. Other verses have challenged you when you are feeling pride and uh, resentment or you're living in sin and the Word of God confronted you and it's what God used as a, in a prophetic way to call you back to faithfulness. Other, other verses maybe you've been able to share with someone as they've gone through something difficult. I love this verse because it says that in all things God is working together for the good of those who love Him 
and who are called according to his purpose. And so I just wanted to take a little bit of time and talk to you about why this verse is significant to me, coming from Romans 8. And I would encourage you, you know, we read a lot of verses uh, this morning, and there is so much, you know, we could take a whole year and go through Romans 8. I would encourage you today to sit down with Romans 8 and read through it a few times and discern, where's your favorite verse in Romans uh, chapter 8? But one of the things that I love about this is this, this, this verse says to us that God is in charge. That God is sovereign over all things. And boy, do we live in a time where there is uncertainty. Uh, things feel uh, like they're in uh, a moment of chaos. And if we think about the, the scope of, of human history, we realize that there are seasons of stability and security, and then there are different seasons of stability and security. But in between those eras or epochs where there is stability and security, there is transition. Right? When we, we think about the discovery of the new world, or we're in the age of the internet, these radical changes in technology and understanding bring about uncertainty because the deck of life has shifted. And sometimes uncertainty can bring chaos, and that can bring anxiety. And we're living in a time, I think, where we're in between. The world is changing around us, and it's changing faster than it ever has. I mean, think about this. 2,000 years ago, how much room in a library would you need to store all of the written information in the world? How about 200 years ago? And now, just compare the amount of information that we have about the world. It's, it's overwhelming. And it can feel chaotic. And when I read this verse, that God works together for good in all things, it brings me great comfort. Because I believe that God is sovereign. That he is working in and through all things for the good of those who love him. And so here's a few things that I wanted to just bring out. First of all, the first point is that believers are children of God. This chapter reveals to us that believers are children of God. If you look at Romans 8, uh, verse 14, it says, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are what? Children of God. That language there, Abba, Father, sons of God, children of God. This verse talks about our adoption. Our adoption. Now, in those days, when Paul was writing this letter, usually an adoption happened when a wealthy adult had no heir for their estate. And so what they would do is they would find someone to be their heir in their estate. It could be a child, it could be a youth, it could be uh, even an adult. And the moment that that adoption legally happened, several things were immediately true of the new son. One, their old, his old debts and his legal obligations were canceled because now he was a member of a new family. He got a new name and was instantly heir of all the father had. The third thing was this new father became instantly liable for all of the actions of the son. The debts, the crimes, everything. And fourth, the new son also had new obligations to honor and please his father. This is all behind the passage that we're reading. When we think about adoption, right? Debt's canceled. A new name. A new father who is liable for the son's actions. 
and the son's responsibility to honor and please the father. Tim Keller points out throughout this passage that Christians three times here are called sons of God, three times named children of God. Now, in our day, uh, we only use gender-neutral language, children. That's the appropriate way to describe a group of people. So that's associated. But, um, but Keller says that we refer to men and women with a masculine pronoun, sometimes called sons. That's considered now today a little bit insensitive. Some people studying this passage express this as a concern. But we don't want to correct Scripture's teaching because it's true that sonship was a status in Rome of privilege and power that was only given to males. And yet now Paul has the temerity to apply this to us, to all believers. This shows that God doesn't distinguish in giving honor. All Christians, male and female, are now heirs. This is actually a, a subversive thing that Paul is doing to take a masculine-only institution and to show that in Christ he's empowering through adoption. This use is on females as well. There's no distinction. What a great blessing that our God does this. Christian women in this sense, in this context, shouldn't chafe by being called sons any more than Christian men should chafe when they're called brides, as it refers to us in Ephesians 5. We are all sons. We are all brides. Each metaphor tells us something about our relationship with Christ. And because we're adopted... Because we've been made sons of God, verse 15 says, we can cry out to God, Abba, Father. And it's like calling God Daddy. There's this intimate and abiding connection. In our prayer time this morning, we were talking about the idea that God loves to spend time with us. And one person in our gathering said, it's like when my children call me. You stop everything. My son is on the phone. I've got to take this call. My daughter is texting me right now. Hold on just a second. That's what happens when we call up God on the phone. When we say, Lord, I want to talk to you. He delights in knowing us and being with us. He delights in knowing you and being with you. He stops everything when you call. That's what prayer is. That's what we've been talking about in our, in our prayer gathering. But we have this access to God. And think about this. It's not just to say, oh, hey, Abba, Father. It's to cry, Abba, Father. What does it mean to cry? Well, what do we do when we're crying? We're desperate. We're struggling. We're lost. Or we're lonely. We can cry out to the Heavenly Father who loves us. We can be closely connected to a loving Father. A good, good father. And because we've been adopted, we have confidence. But we're sure in our relationship because God has signed the papers. He has initiated a relationship with us. He's gone out and said, I want to adopt that one. He has chosen us. Even if we feel insecure, it doesn't change the truth of the matter of legally what's happened because God has called us to himself. So we have confidence in our relationship with God. It doesn't come from our feelings, but rather what the truth about the Holy Spirit does in our, in our spirit to help us to know who we are. And because we are adopted, we also have an inheritance. And inheritance, verse 17, says that we are heirs with Christ. Now, if we are children, then heirs. This means we have an incredible future with God. So, and think about this, and this is fascinating, because in the ancient times, 
the first child, and the first child only was the heir. And so if there was a large number of children, and all the children certainly were loved by the father, but only the heir got the largest part of the wealth. Uh, that was in part to keep the family's name going and to keep strength in the family name, to keep its influence intact so that it wasn't divided or dissipated. But now in this breathtaking turn, Paul says that all Christians are heirs of God. Everyone gets to share in the lion's share of the heir of the Father. Paul is saying that what we have in store is so grand and glorious that it will be and feel as if each of us alone had gotten most of the glory of God. Everyone, because of our adoption, because of your adoption, just let that sink in. Because of uh, God, what God has done, all believers are children of God. Because of what God has done in Christ, also, the second point, all believers have an advocate. We have someone who goes before us, who even prays for us in our weakness. Let me read again verse 26 and on. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for, as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is in the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. In this section, Paul's been talking about the sufferings that we face in this present time, how the creation is groaning for out of brokenness. And, you know, what did, what did Paul, what were his concerns? He cared about the church. He wanted the church to grow and to flourish. He, he labored for them. He, he loved them. And think about Paul. He was persecuted. He faced difficulty. He faced imprisonment, isolation, loneliness. All of the same things that we face, that you may face each and every day. The discouragement of living in a broken world. He says, these sufferings were not worth comparing with the glory that was to be revealed to us, verse 18. He talks about the brokenness of this world, but he says then that the Holy Spirit is interceding on our behalf, even when we don't know what to pray for. Somehow, the Holy Spirit is praying for us. And so this is a great encouragement to me, and it's probably the reason why I wanted to gather on Sunday mornings and to even to think about how we could become a community and a congregation that's more dedicated in earnest prayer. Because I recognize that my prayer life is an up-and-down journey. There are times when I feel like praying, and there are times when I don't feel like praying. And many times I'm saying to God, Oh, Lord, I'm praying a lot right now, and I'm sorry that I wasn't praying a lot <laughs> earlier. I need to grow in prayer. I need to be with people to pray. And so we're gathering on Sunday mornings. And again, I've invited you already. But if you want to come and join us or if you want to submit prayer requests, if you want to listen in, we'd love to have you learn how to pray with us. And one of the best ways to learn how to pray is to pray. To open up the scriptures and to say, God, let me pray through what the Bible says. Look at the news and say, Lord, let me pray for these events happening in the news. Let me get together with other people and the way they pray, how they use their phrases, how they pour out their heart. That is an encouragement and a challenge to me. And here we have the good news that the Holy Spirit is constantly encouraging us and even praying on our behalf for God. You see the intimacy and the connection here in these verses about how God wants to relate to us as a family and be in relationship with us? He desires to know us. 
He desires to be with us. Verse 27 says, And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. It's not just, hey, pray for whatever, but it's pray in the way of the Word of God. There is a will of God, and God reveals that to us as we pray. One of the best things about prayer is when you get down to pray. And you take some time and you set aside a few moments away from your TV or your computer or your phone and you say, Lord, I'm going to pray. And you have a list or an agenda of what you need to get prayed for. Then God slowly but surely hears your prayers about those matters. But then he also shapes and forms your prayer life to be in accordance with his will. That you begin to pray more for what God desires for you. He cares about all the things that you're lifting up to him. But in accordance with his will. See, one of the ways that we know that God works together for the good of those who love him and those who are called according to his purpose in all things is that the Holy Spirit, through prayer, is impressing God's truth upon our minds. So here's a question for you. Do you ever feel discouraged? Pray. Do you ever feel anxious? Pray. Do you ever feel confused about what to do? Pray. Do you ever feel hurt? Pray. Do you ever feel angry? Pray. In everything we can pray and ask God to be with us. Because why? We've been adopted as his sons and we've been given the Holy Spirit. He's going to take the call every time. He's going to answer every time and hear what it is we need. And the Spirit is also interceding for us to encourage us. He is an advocate for us. Like what, is, what does someone who intercedes do? What does an advocate do? We, we've uh, been able to become friends with a family that moved here from Afghanistan to try to encourage them. And one of the things that was provided for them through World Relief was a good neighbor team. And on that good neighbor team is a woman named Melissa. And she is an intercessor right? She certainly prays, but she also intercedes for this family as their advocate. Because think about what it's like when you move from a different country. You don't know the culture. You don't know how to get around. You can't really get around because you don't have any transportation. You're trying to wait on your work documents that got lost in the mail. You don't have a social security card. You want to get to work, but you can't. You're not allowed. You're trying to figure out the medical situation. You're trying to get health care for your kids. You're trying to figure out education. There's so many things. So having a person who is standing with you and standing by you to help you to navigate all of the things that are right in front of you that you don't know about and who is also anticipating the challenges that you're going to face in advance because they know what it's like for people who've moved from another country. Boy, what a great thing to have someone intercede for you in those moments. Can you imagine just the confusion and the desperation that it feels? And yet here's a person named Melissa, who comes in and says, this is how things are going to go. I'm going to be with you. I'm going to take you to the doctor. I'm going to help you with with this exam. I'm going to make sure that you get an apartment. I'm going to make sure that this organization does what they say to take care of you. Boy, what a blessing it is to have an intercessor. Well, the Holy Spirit is interceding on your behalf for you about the things that you care about and know and the things that you don't even know you should be caring about. Because that's how much God loves you. That's how much God cares about you. I mean, what a benefit that we get by being a follower of Jesus. 
What grace we have to know that the, the God of the universe, who knows all things about how all of the systems work, is walking with us every day to help us face every challenge that we face. You just don't get that if you're not a Christian. You've got to figure it out all on your own. You've got to find out on Google what to do. But we have access to a good, good Father who wants us to flourish and to grow. That doesn't mean that He's not going to allow us to experience suffering and difficulty. We know that. There will be challenges. But those challenges so often are presented to us so that we would trust the Father. That we would go back to Him and rejoice in Him. What a great thing. What a great thing. And finally, believers are secure. I touched on this earlier, but the last section of Romans 8 is just so beautiful. Let me just read to you a little bit of it. Verse 35. I didn't read this earlier, but this is one of my, uh, another one of my favorite verses. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come, the powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. If you've been adopted, that relationship doesn't change. If you've been claimed by Christ, that doesn't change. You may be walking away from God. You may be in the far country saying, Lord, your commands don't apply to me. I'm not going to live for you. But he will claim you and is still yours. You may need to check yourself if you really have a relationship with God, if you're still remaining in the far country. But God has a claim on you. And if you are his, you'll always be his. It's secure. It's absolutely secure. It is a broken world. It is difficult, but there's no challenge that we face. There's no hurt that we've experienced. There's nothing that we can do that will separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus because it's God's action to claim us. But that action then demands a response. It demands a response of obedience. It demands a response. Here, then, Paul quotes a verse, uh, Psalm 44 in this little section here. It's, uh, it's verse 36. As it is written, he says, For your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. It's a confusing use of the Old Testament to me when I first read it. But he, if you go back and read Psalm 44, and Paul loves to use the Old Testament as, as, uh, as a way of illustrating the truth of God. You know, we see in Psalm 44 that the people are suffering, but it's not because of their sins. Rather, they, they suffer in a, in a removed way. Someone put it a vicarious way, like sheep to be slaughtered. They're suffering for God's sake, because in their faithfulness to the Lord, they receive greater abuse than if they had conformed to the pagan world. You know in your own life, there are some times when you choose to follow Jesus, it costs you something. It costs you money, it costs you time, it costs you relationship, it costs you pleasure or comfort when you choose to follow Jesus. You have to suffer. But that suffering and that difficulty and that challenge shape and form your faith to encourage you to know Christ and then also to make Him known. 
Sometimes we suffer, but when we do, we have an abiding connection with God because we realize that he's here with us in that challenge. And think about this verse 37. This blows me away when I read this verse. No, in all things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And we, we love to say that in America, right? Because we actually feel like conquerors, right? I mean, we, we have the influence over all of the world. We've got the greatest military. We actually are conquerors. We have to be careful about what we're conquering. But think about what is going on in the church in Rome. Do you think they felt like conquerors? Do you think the church in Rome, this small gathering of people that are trying to be faithful to Jesus in the midst of this largest city in the world with the biggest military, the biggest uh, commercial uh, program, all of the paganism, do you think they felt like conquerors? Let's read this in the way that we would, the original hearers would read it. They, Paul is saying, you are more than conquerors. You have power. You have joy. In the midst of your isolation, in the midst of your defeat, in the midst of the struggle, the suffering, you have power. Not to be used for your own gain but to be used to serve others. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Jesus Christ our Lord. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. You know, we're, we're still trying to come out of a season of separation. I'm thankful that we're able to, to meet together. But we are probably more finely attuned to understanding the difficulty and the, and the challenge of separation. You know, it was really only almost two years ago that we went into quarantine and we had that season where we were not with people. And even now, we have times where we haven't seen people. My in-laws came to visit us the week, this weekend. It's the first time in over two years. And we are aware of that separation, what it felt like to be isolated from people and how hard it is. And, and you know that just in being uh, in community, gathering together, like that, what that means for us and how, how important it is for us to be in relationship. We feel the pain of separation. Well, here's what God is saying to us, is that there is no way that we can be separated from God. Not because of what Jesus Christ has done. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. And if that's the case, if nothing can separate us, then that demands a response. It could be a response of worship. It could be a response of confession. It could be a response of realigning my life with God's purposes. It could be extending forgiveness. It could be receiving forgiveness. It could be ensuring that my relationships, all of them, have been made whole. Whatever it is, what is the thing that God is saying to you? Because you're secure, because you're a child of God, all of these things that God is communicating to you, what's your response? It doesn't do us any good unless we begin to apply what God is saying to us in his word. Now, if you haven't heard me say anything, you're not justified by what you do. But if you're not doing anything... Maybe you're not justified. So what's your response? To live in joy, live as an adopted son, an heir, live as the bride, and rejoice. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to this message from Woodland Presbyterian Church, maturing God's people to serve a hurting world. Again, if you'd like to learn more about our congregation, please visit us at woodlandpres.org. Thank you very much, and God bless you today.